I want to begin the emphasis of the Christmas season with a message from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. There is nothing new under the sun, someone said, not even sermons. So uh, you may recognize uh, some of this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, Magi came from the east, arriving in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Verse 11. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The end of the Thanksgiving season marks the beginning of Christmas. And everywhere are the sights and the sounds of Christmas. Some of you perhaps braved the shoppers uh, press Friday to begin your first Christmas shopping. Many stores have already decorated for Christmas. As I pulled up in my parking spot this morning, I looked across on the parking lot and there was this truck of Christmas decorations. Evidently, the workmen for the city have already begun to prepare to decorate the streets with the Christmas decorations. It's just 21 more shopping days till Christmas. Did you know that? In just about three weeks, we will be celebrating the greatest holiday of the year. I wonder if you're really ready for that. Are you really ready for Christmas? There's some of us who are. We just can't wait. We've already got the Christmas spirit. We've already begun to do special things that are traditional to our celebration of Christmas. But most of us will wait a couple of weeks and then we'll wake up and we'll hear Christmas bearing down on us and we'll do our best to get ready for Christmas. All those special things we'll hurry to do to try to catch the spirit. And as most Christmases, it will have come and gone and we will have missed the joy of Christmas. And so I want us to get the jump on Christmas. December the 1st, I want us to get the jump on it. I want to suggest some things that you can do that will enable you to have the greatest Christmas of your life. I'm going to suggest several, and they're just representative of the many. I've suggested some before. I want you just to pick out one, just one. Jot it down in the Bible kind of as a commitment and just begin to do it. And I promise you that if you will concentrate and do just one of these things I'm going to suggest, I promise 
that after this Christmas is over, you will say, this is the greatest Christmas I have ever experienced, or I'll throw this old sermon in, the, in file 13 and never preach it again. Now, that's fair enough, isn't it? First thing, find some area, something in your life that is totally out of step with God and ask Jesus to come and help you overcome it. Now you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those things in our lives that are alien to the life and the Spirit of Christ. Those little areas of our life that are unclaimed to God. Those little closets that we've never unlocked to Him. We all have those, don't we? Attitudes that have crept in since last Christmas of cynicism and criticism and rejection. Thoughts that have come that have dominated our thinking and habits that control us and bind us like chains. I'm talking about those kinds of things. Find those areas in your life that are totally out of step with God and ask Jesus to help you overcome them. For after all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Isn't that what God came to do? When I was a kid, we thought that the only time God could ever do anything in our community was the second week in August. That was the week we began the two-week revival in a little country town and we had it outside and everybody geared up for the revival that took place the second week of August. And all the witnessing and all the praying and all the soul winning and all the evangelism that was done in that church was done the second two weeks in August, the second and third week of August. And I'm sure that it happened, but I don't remember anybody ever being saved in our church except the second and the third week of August. That's when God came and did His work. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somehow on this Christmas season God would step from the triforium and do a work of renewal in this place. Wouldn't it be magnificent if God could come in a way of renewal and revival and just sweep away all these problems, all this sin, all these barriers that keep us from Him and unlock every one of those doors that remain closed to Him. After all, isn't that what Jesus came to do? After all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? I want to show you something. If you'll take the time to turn to 1 John, it's that little epistle over toward the end of the New Testament near the book of Revelation. I want you to look with me at chapter 3. Now everybody turns. Don't punch your wife and say you turn and I'll check out the TV schedule. And chapter 3, verse 5. I want to show you something. Not too long ago I was dealing with a problem, personal problem, problem in my own life concerning my walk with God or lack of it. And I was doing my quiet time in that study right behind us here and I was reading from the book of John and this verse, these verses came to be just what I needed. Verse 5, and you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. Verse 8, 
The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared, was manifested, was incarnated for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And I closed my New Testament and I had to pray. My prayer was this, Lord, this is what I need. If Jesus came for that purpose, to take away sin, if the Son of God was manifested in order to destroy his works, I have sin in my life, please take it away. And the devil is so strongly involved in what I do, destroy his works, and I claim that by faith. You want this to be the greatest Christmas you've ever known? then you begin from this day to discover in the light of the Holy Spirit those things in your life that are out of step with God and ask Jesus to come and help you overcome them. Ask him to destroy the works of the devil in your life. After all, that's what he came to do. Now that's pretty painful to do that. It takes a little bit of humility and commitment, so maybe you would pass that by and take number two. Number two is this. Take the money that you would spend on yourself or somebody close to you and give it to somebody who needs it. Now this kind of has to be a family project, and so I'm just talking, I'm talking primarily to families right now. Take the money that you would spend on yourself or somebody close to you and give it to somebody who needs it. Now, I, I did this one time in a small group setting with some men and a guy came up to me. He said, Preacher, I was going to give you a new suit for, your, for Christmas and you talked me out of it today. Well, I realize that I may be talking myself out of something here, but, 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 but really, isn't it ironical? Now, now watch this. Isn't it ironical? that Christmas is the celebration of the greatest sacrifice and we do little of it. Christmas is the, is the celebration of, a one, of one who sacrificed everything he had. He emptied heaven for us and the sacrifice of a man who gave everything he had and we are so extravagant and wasteful at Christmas time. Let me tell you something. This Christmas shopping is a problem. It has become a real problem to some of us. And the exchanging of gifts has become an act of redundancy. How do you, how do you ration? How do you choose? I mean, how do you give to somebody who has everything anyway? We got these catalogs that, that are list gifts for the man who has everything. Why would you want to give something to somebody who has everything so he can have two of everything? Why would you give to somebody who has everything? Why not give to somebody who has nothing? For after all, isn't that what Christmas is about? Didn't God look down upon a world that was in poverty in every way and didn't God say, man has need, I'll meet that need. Man has hunger, I'll feed that hunger. Man has loneliness, I'll feed that loneliness. I'll supply that comfort. Did not God say, there's a man who is deprived, I'll enrich him and he gave 
to the need. Now some people have decided that they would just eliminate all this uh, cooking. Like uh, no more sweets, no more cookies, candy, fudge, rum cake. And, and, and all this Christmas feasting and they were going to take that money and give it to world hunger. And one family told me, they said, we usually buy large gifts for each other and give a small gift to Lottie Moon. This year we decided to give a small gift to each other and the larger gift to Lottie Moon. And then there was Mary Smith. Now that sounds like a made up name. It's a true name, true story. Mary Smith heard this sermon in a church I pastored in West Texas and she chose this one for Christmas. Now this was their project. She had four boys and they were going to get for this Christmas as a family gift a large pool table. They had $1,000 budgeted for it. There were six of them, four boys and the, and the mother and the father. And they were going to take this they won't buy this large, nice pool table. Now the boys didn't think it was such a hot idea. When mother uh, came home and made, had, had made this commitment at church, but she got them involved in it and, and, and they, got, they went along with it. And she came to the church and she said, do you know of anybody that really needs it? I did, I knew of a family named Corley. He was a woodcutter in the woods. And I've been out to their house. They'd not invited me in, but I knew they were in need. So. I said, you, you need to go with me and we need to get introduced to the Corleys. And so we did. It was a night just about like last night. And we went into this little two-room shack and they were huddled around. I, I, I'll never forget it. They were huddled around a five-gallon bucket and had a large fire in that. It's the way they, they got heat. That's the way they warmed themselves. They were huddled around this bucket of fire. And they had a grill on top of it. They'd eaten something there. That's the way they had eaten and she met the Corleys. Now she was going to give some gifts like coats and, and clothes and shoes and, and all that, so she needed sizes and she sized them all up. But she wasn't gonna just give, you know, those things. I mean, kids want toys too. I mean, barefooted, but toys. So uh, she got shoe sizes and coats and clothes, but she also found out toys what would fit this one and fit that one. And she got her kids involved in it and her husband. And they all went and they bought the tree, all the ornaments and the trimmings, and they bought all the things they were gonna cook and take them in a big, on a big platter their Christmas dinner. And the kids got all caught up in it and the husband. And they bought all these toys and they went out on Christmas Eve and they took this tree in and they helped them decorate it and they brought all these toys in all wrapped up and they brought all this food in. Then they just sat back and watched. And those kids dug into those tur at turkey. I mean, they were eating it, you know, in one, one drumstick in each hand just about. They were working it over. And then they got into the Christmas unwrappings and they took all those Christmas gifts out. And this family just sat there and watched. It was a religious experience for them. Two weeks later, Mary Smith came forward in the invitation of a church, of the church service, and made my name and tell those folks that it is true it really works after all isn't that what Christmas is all about isn't it about the one who came and gave to those who needed now that's pretty radical I know 
So maybe you'll try the third. I like to see heads go down, you're going to write a little. I'm, that, that's, that's exciting. Number three. When you're giving gifts this Christmas, give the most expensive gift of all. Give yourself. Have you decided what you're going to give for Christmas? There's a lot of imaginative toys out there to buy, isn't there? I mean, you can get these pocket-sized calculators with miniature typewriter keys on them so that the operator can inscribe messages to tell him what the numbers are for if he forgets. And for the lazy telephone dialers, there are these telephones that have memory capability of 24 pre-programmed numbers and, and automatic redialing so you can get your, those hard-to-get numbers of your talkative friends. And if there's anybody in here that likes to lounge in a hot bath, and who doesn't on a cold day, there are these beautiful, colorful soap coasters with built-in miniature television sets. That, I mean, that's living. And, and, if, and if you have children that are slow learners, for parents of children that are slow learners, there are these computers that will drill your children orally in subjects like science and math and history. One wonders what Jesus would have gotten had he been born today. Maybe a butane bottle warmer for the manger or a jeweled pedometer for the flight down to Egypt or a dozen thermal diapers or a plastic bassinet with built-in water heater and headphones. I mean, it's ridiculous. The Magi were dull and unimaginative givers, weren't they? They just gave gold and frankincense and myrrh. Those gifts must have been on everybody's list at that time. But you need to go back to verse 11 of chapter 2 and read it again. Are you with me? And it says, And they came in and fell down and worshipped him and gave him gifts. And there are two verbs in that verse. Now our imagination fastens on the verb they gave or presented. But the main verb in this verse is they fell down or prostrated themselves before the king. And the idea of the verse is this. Are you listening? The magi, these important people from the east, came a great distance to present themselves to Christ. And when they did that, then the Greek word gave takes on the added significance that you find in other books in the New Testament. It means they offered up in royal homage and it means this, and this is the message of this verse. They came in order to fall down and present themselves to the king of kings. And the giving of gifts was just incidental. As a matter of fact, these gifts they gave were just symbols of their self-oblations. And the whole point of Christmas is not to knock yourself out with giving gifts, but to present yourself to the King. And the most important gift you will give is not the Atari set or the TV or the 
fur line negligee, the most important gift you'll give is when you give yourself to Jesus Christ. Imagine with me that a most important person is going to make an appearance in, the large, in a lobby of a large hotel in the city. People are apprised of his coming and they are celebrating. In fact, they're so jubilant in their celebrations, they're exchanging gifts in the lobby of the hotel and they're not even aware that he's arrived. As a matter of fact, they celebrate as though he were not even there. And that must be how Christmas looks to Jesus if it is not first and foremost the giving of yourself to him. And so John Dillinger fancies this scene in heaven in which Simon Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Tomorrow is your birthday and we have a celebration planned. We've got raisin cake and Christmas strudel and we're going to put a big Christmas tree on the square in New Jerusalem and it's going to be lighted with candles and little, little, little angels are going to be singing carols all day long. It's going to be a celebration. And Jesus said, my birthday, that's why I'm so depressed. May it never be, says Peter. Why, you don't look a day older than since the dawn of eternity. It's those people down there, Jesus points down toward the earth. It's those people. They'll be celebrating too. As a matter of fact, They'll be so caught up in their feasting and their merrymaking. They won't even think about me. There's less prayer at Christmas than at any other time of the year. For me, it's the loneliest day of the year. Not only is it a time for us to give ourselves to Jesus Christ and discover the dimensions of our faith and rediscover the dimensions of our commitment, it's a time to give ourselves to each other, to others. Isn't it ironical? that the buying and the decorating and the shopping leaves us less time for the most important people in our lives than at any other season of the year. Isn't that ironical? And isn't it ironical that we neglect, we neglect the very people we try to remember because we're so caught up in the decorating and the buying and the celebrating? I heard about a little girl who was sick in a hospital at Vanderbilt University, the University of Hospital in Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. Her mother was very wealthy and she was caught up in the Christmas season. She was chairman of every committee and every sorority and so she was highly involved. But she visited her daughter every day, but just for a little while and she brought all these stuffed animals. I mean, she even brought a seven-foot giraffe the people, so, there were so many stuffed animals in the room that the nurses, you know, were complaining, couldn't even get around in there. And she'd bring a stuffed animal and stay a minute or two, and then she had to go to this party and this, this event. And one day she came and brought this stuffed animal to kind of get her daughter's attention directed to it. She had to leave quickly for the bazaar that she was chairperson of. And the little girl was clinging to her and said, Mother, I don't want all these things. I want you. Maybe Christmas should be a time when those children who are so divorced from our lives in the, all, all the rest of the year, so, le, so, so separated from us every day, it's a time when we come back to them. Maybe it's a time when we should stop neglecting that person who we neglect so often, our spouse. 
Maybe it should be a time when we renew the friendships, the, 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 the associates the, with our colleagues, our association with them that we've been meaning to do. There was a time when we had time for each other. And John Killinger tells about finding an outdated book written by a nurse a long, long time ago to nurses suggesting how they could be better nurses. And one of the suggestions was, take a mirror in the room and turn it at an angle so the people in the sick room can see outside. Then the, then the statement is this. Listen to this. With that mirror, their eyes, which have not for a long time, will be able to pierce beyond the boundaries of the sick room those visits you make to the homebound and to the nursing homes will enable for the first time in a long time those lonely people to pierce beyond the boundaries of the sick room and hear the sounds of the streets, smell the smells of, of, of city life, hear the sounds of some activity in life. Like a mirror, your visits enable them to pierce beyond the boundaries of the sick room. After all, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Flesh, spirit becoming flesh? God not giving us presents but himself? God coming to be with us? Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Maybe you had not found one yet. Take heart, I got one more. Or if you're getting tired, maybe not... Maybe taking heart's not the right, not the right word. Number four, discover this Christmas the joy of what Jesus can mean in your life. I think it's absolutely tragic that there are less people, fewer people saved, and fewer people join the church at Christmas time in the month of December than at any other time of the year. The other day I just got out. For the last six years I've been here, last six Christmases I've been with you, I just got out the, the, the records to see, and it's true, that of all the months in the year, including the summer vacation months, there are few people who discover Christ and place their life in the church at December at Christmas time than at any other time of the year. Isn't that tragic? The Bible says that these shepherds, when they went back, they went glorifying and praising God. And these wise, the Magi, went back a different direction. Now I don't know a whole lot about what shepherds do out on hillsides especially 2,000 years ago, but I have a pretty good idea that life wasn't too much of a celebration. I'm, I just have a pretty strong suspicion that they didn't have a whole lot to celebrate in those days until they found the Lord. And when they discovered the King of all gods, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, they went back. The scripture says they jumped fences. They ran stoplights. They broke the 55 mile per hour speed limit. They went back rejoicing. They discovered the difference that Jesus makes. 
And every step they took away from Bethlehem took them farther and farther away from Christmas. But Christmas was no longer in Bethlehem. It was forever in their hearts. And the angelic song of the Judean hills was now a refrain in their ears that would never cease. They discovered him who brings joy. Have you? That night when in the Dugit, that night when in the Judean skies, the mystic star dispensed its light. A blind man moved in his sleep and dreamed that he had sight. That night when shepherds heard the song of hosts angelic choiring near, a deaf man stirred in slumber spell and dreamed that he could hear. That night when in the cattle stall, silent child and mother slept cheek by jaw, a cripple turned his twisted limbs and dreamed that he was whole. That night when o'er the newborn babe the tender Mary rose to lean, a loathsome leper smiled in sleep and dreamed that he was clean. That night when to the mother's heart the little king was held secure, a harlot slept a happy sleep and dreamed that she was pure. That night when in the manger lay the sanctified who came to save, a man moved in the sleep of death and dreamed there was no grave. And because he came, the blind can see and the deaf can hear and the lame can walk and the harlot is pure and the dead can live. Would you discover with me this morning the difference that Jesus makes? Now I'm going to ask you in a time of invitation. There might be some of you this morning who have decided to choose one of these. And you want to make it public. You've already decided what you're going to do. And you want to make it public because making it public somehow kind of seals it. It, it kind of nails it down. And you want to do that. going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. There might be some this morning who would like to come and place their life in the church. There might be one here this morning who has never known what it means to have forgiveness of sin, to be saved. You've never for the first time given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, trusted Him for salvation. You want to discover what His coming makes the difference that makes. Now there are three invitations that I'll offer here in the name of the Lord under His anointing to come and say, I want to do this and from this day to Christmas, I will. I want to join the church. Tell me how to be saved. I want to know how to be Christian. 
After we've had our prayer, we invite you to do it. Father, I pray that you have spoken, and now your will shall be done in every heart and every life. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, I pray. Amen.